0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Shakers podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Odom, here with my co-host, George Nunez. And today, we have another special guest in the form of Chuk Woody, who is currently the founder slash CEO of Humble Humblebrag and an angel investor at Aikido.com. Ventures, a fund that seeks to invest in catalysts for positive behavioral shifts for the people of the 21st and 22nd centuries. Chukwudi obtained his undergraduate degree from the University of Binghamton in Industrial and Systems Engineering and recently founded the Binghamton Alumni Angels Investment Group. He has had an extensive set of professional experiences within the world of technology, investing, serving as a venture fellow, start zero rebel one and an associate at gorilla capital most recently he's been named a 2021 notley fellow where he will be thinking through ways to drive positive change in society alongside other social innovators so without further ado welcome to the show chuck woody
1: what's up y'all appreciate the intro like like wow I should get that as my bio, honestly, man. Like, that, that was dope.
2: <laughs> how, how are you feeling, Chukwudi? It, it, it's been a while since we spoke, man. Um, I know we got a chance to get on the phone last week. But but how are you since, since everything, since being, since COVID? Like, ooh, what's going on? How are you feeling this morning? Man, I'm
1: feeling high, bro. It, it's really, it's, it's been a journey. Um, it's really been a journey that's been exciting. Like, you know, both for the family, both for myself, like, you know, just like going through everything. But I'm I'm thankful for God for you know how far we've come. Amen. So I, you know, very optimistic about where we can go moving forward, man. Like, you know, that's the hype.
2: You know, that's how right. about um, y'all? Yeah, yeah, listen, man, we're we're good. Uh, you know, we're we're blessed, we're highly favored. Um, things are finally shifting towards our, our direction. Uh, so can't complain. Um, and I wanted to ask you a serious question. Like, it's been something that's been burning inside. I've always wanted to ask you this: Um, How much wood would a woodchuck chuck chuck, (laughs) if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Hey man, yo, (laughs) (laughs) bro, man! Everyone been
1: asking me that since I was like four, man. I, I, I I was like. like it's, it's funny you ask me I cause and I'm the type of guy that just like goes down rabbit holes. Like now I'm like actually I don't know the answer to that
2: At <laughs> first I was like,
1: bruh, like man, what do you mean? I mean, that's obviously about my name. You know, y'all y'all couldn't ask right now. But now I'm like, hmm, that's actually an interesting question. Like, how much wood could it woodchuck Chuck Chuck? Yeah, like I need to figure that out now. Like, I'll get back to you. Well, man, but, yo, you, 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 that one, man.
2: <laughs> oh, 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 fun, bro. All oh fun. I actually looked it up. It's actually 700 pounds. 700? You're lying. No, no, it's <laughs> 700. Hey, actually, let me stop. I you mean, know, I'm over here. Like, let me oh, they actually Google this now. Let me stop, you know. Wow. wow. Some <laughs> Real, real, bro. Real, but, you know. Like on a, on a serious note, like let's let's get into your lifestyle, man. Like you know, you have an interesting upbringing. Um, how was it growing up in Long Island with immigrant parents, being having that immigrant background, parents from family from Nigeria? How was that uh, experience in New York, meshed with the immigrant culture, and how was it living in Nigeria? Because you spent some time out there as well.
1: Yeah, man, that's that's a good question. Like it definitely. At home, it's like, it like Igbo, um, my native language is my first language um, before I had an English babysitter who, like, she's the one that reinforced English for me. But at like, that time, you know, like, I, I came to the States in my mother's belly, like, um, when, when she first got here. And, like, both my parents, they in healthcare. So growing up, like, you know, my mom's figuring out her journey of, like, you know, progressing to become an established nurse at, like, North Shore LIJ, um, where, like, she initially started off, like, doing, like, temp work. Um, at different hospitals, like you know, temp jobs off. Craig, it was Craigslist. I don't think Craigslist was around that time, but just temp jobs that she can find. Then became a school nurse in Brooklyn. I used to like go to. I used to go to to Brooklyn with her, and like with my little. I had a Thomas the Tin Can Train little lunchbox thing. I, I still remember going with her there. And you know, my dad, he had got his PhD. He was working um, at Mount Sinai, and so at home, like you know, I'm the oldest of three of uh, three. So I have two younger brothers. You know, we're all like two years apart each. And so like, just like home is Nigeria really, man. Like, you know, my parents navigating the world of being, you know, immigrants while like, figuring stuff out. We're always sending like clothes, food, resources back home, you know, uh, to family. Cause the majority of our family is back home in Nigeria um, specifically in Abia state. And like, it definitely was, uh, you know, I mean, my name's not even English, but like, you know, uh, but I, I'm grateful for the experience. You know, it really it helped me figure out who I am because initially, growing up here in the states, like I, I actually used to hate my name, fun fact. Um, But then, like after going to Nigeria, I, went to, I was in. The, I grew up born um, in, I born in Long Island. Um, I, know, I forget. It's not in Rochelle. It's um closer to that. But born in Long Island for and went to school throughout school until sixth grade, seventh to ninth grade. I'm in Nigeria um, in the River States. Um. Nigeria and, like, really, like, learn more about my culture, my people, my family um, there and really embrace myself and who I am, then came back from a ninth to twelfth grade, like, and it's really interesting that, like, the academics from seventh to ninth grade, like, I knew Calc 2 and, like, some advanced sciences by the time I was in ninth grade, Um, and then when I got back to the States, like, I saw the extracurriculars were what had the most potential for, you know, enabling growth, so that that was really interesting, um, you know, figuring that out, and then you know, coming home now, it's like my parents, they're like doctor, or engineer. Like, I still remember 11th grade. but I had like 24 hours to pick my major after a, a, a school conference of like, yo, like if you're in 11th grade, you didn't pick your major. So like, I needed to figure out that flow because I was playing catch up when I got back to the States from 10th to 12th grade. Um, and I chose engineering because I've always been like crafting with my hands and like, you know, building things. And the result was like, you know, me going to college for that. But my college experience You know, I know we were going into college now. My whole college experience was really just me trying to figure out, like, what is it that I really want to do? Because I spent the through line for my extracurricular, my United Nations and international affairs. I was doing that since elementary school, thinking about all the problems in the world, the issues. Having family in Nigeria, like, cemented that for me and like seeing the issues there. Like, I always knew I wanted to do something about that at a world scale, Um, you know, in different local levels. I didn't know what capacity that looked like. And so my journey to college, A, I wanted to get away from home because I'm like, man, this doctor helped. Because I, I saw my mom go through the entire journey of like, you know, school nurse. And now today she's an associate director at Wyckoff Hospital in Brooklyn. And so I saw that whole journey and like, I knew I wasn't interested. My dad's a pharmacist. I'm not interested. Um, so college, like my whole vibe, it wasn't like the major was just to get in, like, I, you know, getting where I could fit in. Like the whole idea there was like, how can I f- figure out what is it that I want to do? And, you know, it's not me if I'm, I'm, I'm going too far, but like through that, I was just do- like, you probably saw my LinkedIn. Not everything I've done is there of course, cause that'd be too much, but like I was just doing whatever I could like, you know, wa- you know washing cars. I was a sound engineer. I worked for the university police department. Um, I was an athletic event staff, I was an RA, I was a conference assistant over the summer, um, started like different clubs. I just got involved in a bunch of stuff because like, I'm a very, like, I can't, I'm the type of cat that can't talk about things they haven't done. And like, in order for me to truly understand stuff, I need to either like, you know, do like, be in that moment and experience it. So because of that experiential orientation, I just had to do things to figure out what is it that I wanted to do to figure out my direction. And my thesis at first was, like, I wanted to be Secretary General of the United Nations. Like, I wanted to be a big dog at the U.N., you know, helping folks uh, around the world. Like, I thought that was the easiest way to, like, you know, climb the ladder type thing, um, easiest way to, to do that. Oh, and let me take a step back, you know, the first person on the podcast to do that. I'm someone who's very influenced and inspired by, like, anime and manga, like Japanese anime and manga. That's, that's one through line throughout my, like, entire life that has inspired me to like pursue the max, like my max potential, because like I was so inspired by seeking, seeing folks like, you know, develop themselves, their story, refine themselves, hone themselves to see some go, like the whole idea of like Shonen and like what that entails. And that's something that's like inspired, like continues to inspire me every day to like, you know, how can I be better? You know, how can, I, I was never really attracted to like, there's a lot of like, of course, reality shows and sitcoms. Like I was always just jamming on like, you know, Naruto, Dragon Ball Z, all this stuff when I was a kid. And like now, like that has fueled a lot of like, there's an irrational drive in me for like a lot of different things and just that keeps me pushing forward. That's a piece of it. And so like that kind of fueled my exploration and then like sophomore year, let me try to wrap up the story. Sophomore year, 2016, um, I realized, I did a, a summer study program. Like I was selected to be a scholar for the United Nations that summer. I realized that UN is broke. They don't really have the money to maintain long-term engagements of impact. And because they, like, you know, like, try to address things and then they have to pull out, situations can get worse. That's how I fell into tech. Because I need, you know, I believe my thesis is public and private partnership creates sustainable change and um, better ecosystems, but we need that cash first. I'm not about to go beg billionaires for their cash, you know, like, and be succumb to their whims. So, like, let me just get get my cash up first and my network up first and then go from there. Uh, But that's the... uh, I, I added a lot of stuff that wasn't technically answered to your question, but kind of like fueled into it. But that's the short version, you know, and college was just the exploration of that, short slash long version.
0: How do you get from this this general interest in tech to a, a deeper interest in venture? Interesting
1: question. Um, I'd say, so like the rest of college, um, I just explored tech like an internet different company. And it's, it's funny because of uh, uh, Relief, um, I think now they're a B2B platform like ag tech farmers um, to help organize their goods in Nigeria right now, but he can nothing deal with. Um, he he reached out to me on LinkedIn um, for an internship opportunity, which like at first I actually, I was like, what, a LinkedIn response for something? Cause I, I got some weird hours before I'm like, I'm dubbing this man. But like, after like that internship, I was, that I was just like, I need to get in wherever I can to like learn more about tech. And so that was that first internship that I did over the winter. I figuring out what I can do. Um, then I interned over the summer at um, the Queens Entrepreneurship Fund, which they were creating a fellowship program to empower Queens College students to look um, more professional and get more like experiential learning from like corporations. So with the overarching goal of like, how can we like, you know, empower like Queens College, which is like one of the, I wouldn't say they're not the highest tier institution of the CUNYs. So a lot of like corporations, a lot of like places don't look for their students for like jobs and opportunities. How can we change that? Um, and so that, um, doing like life after bang, you know, like basically just starting different things, you know, and letting that entrepreneurship bug, like, you know, take me, net side, so draw my senior project. Like we were pitching around the country, um, in 2018, we, we pitched the largest science engineering festival, the USA science and engineering festival, um, you know, doing career consulting for folks and like realizing I could get people jobs at like fortune 500 companies at like big tech companies at the big four accounting firms through just like giving them just the game I've learned from like figuring out for myself. And so like I like was just letting my entrepreneurial bug flow. Um, and then when I graduated, I had an internship at Austin Young, um, but I didn't have the grades to get the full-time offer. I graduated with a 2.8. And I got rejected after that. But I heard the term venture capital um, a couple months before I graduated. And that's where that I was like, what is this? And then my whole thing because like long-term, I can't, Like, right now with Humble Break, I'm super focused. Like, a lot more than I I thought I would be, rather. Um, Because, like, I'm in the shower at night when I'm going to bed thinking about this. Like, how can we make, you know, this happen? Um, Whereas normally I like to, like, spread myself across a bunch of projects. Long term, like, I'll, I'll be doing, like, startup studio stuff. And, like, venture initially back, like, I thought, you know, consulting or venture is how I can, like, you know, do a lot of different things through one path. And so that's where that interest in venture came about. And so that summer, I, um, I was helping run a summer school called H Lab. And then I came back and I did my EY internship. And then I came back and just like, you know, no job offers, like, no nothing. And I, like, threw, um, but I went to a bunch of events. Aaron Cohen, a Binghamton alumni, he like really pushed me to just try to get into venture. Um, you know, before that, Dan, Daniel Adianju, uh, one of my fraternity brothers so from Elite Fraternity Incorporated, he had exposed me to different tech rooms. So I just, like, leveraged that. And I was already networking in New York City before then. So I leveraged that and, like, ended up getting an internship at Venture Out and then International Accelerator helping um different go- government innovation arms, like, bring their founders into the U.S. market. And then I landed an in, uh, internship at Destructor.bc where I was, like, sourcing um, different um, deals for them. And so that's how I really landed into venture and, like, started exploring, because my I'm an explorer. Like, you know, I'm really, like, I'm always curious. I'm always trying to figure out, like, what's going on. and So, like, that's how I got in. Um, with the venture route, like, I became chief of staff to the CEO in, like, two months um, after, you know, getting on as an intern, because, like, really absorbed and learned so much, um, you know, work with a bunch of different governments. Like, that was really cool. Um, and also, like, like, intimidating, definitely. I'd say definitely like intimidating like the first time around but like, once you get used to that and like mingling network i met so many vcs because it's a platform like, it's a platform that like we tap entrepreneurs you know come in from different countries to you know land and expand here in the u.s they need to figure out the legal stuff they need to figure out how to like th- their pitch and framing them which is what we did through accelerator and then like you know they'd meet investors um and so i like, met a bunch of vcs through that through like just organic networking um, and like, you know, that's how I got really more into venture. And over time, like, you know, continue to work, build accelerators and incubators. I like start started. Um, I just ended up scouting for funds. So like scouting being, I just have deal flow that I, I see now because I've, I've either worked and met with a lot of founders, funders always need deal flow. You know, investors are always looking for like, you know, the next big thing. So I'm just sending people to folks who I know like, yo, actually met so-and-so. I think they'd be a great fit for your portfolio potentially, y'all should have a conversation connect boom you know and start doing matching for folks let's
2: stay right there on the topic of venture mm-hmm. what was your experience like for or what was your experience like in venture for america right vfa and literally break that down for the audience in what venture for america is we know that the founder is Andrew Yang. And funny enough, he's running for mayor. <laughs> but that's that, that's neither here nor there. But but get into your experience as what it was like for VFA. Yeah. And, and like, to, to clarify,
1: it's like I'm technically still in um, Venture for America right now. In um, Venture for America, um, they're a two year fellowship for um, what they define as future founders, folks who would love to start a company. Someday, but need to, like, you know, get some experience first. Like, you spend two years working at a startup, but particularly in, like, what is defined as an emerging tech hub. So a hub that doesn't have a lot of talent, a hub that doesn't have – they have startups that need talent, but they, you know, they, they just need a little – a missing piece, you know, whether it's funding, talent, or whichever to, like, help boost and elevate it. Like, you know, in a couple of years, it will be a really great place um, for, like, Columbus, Ohio, or Tulsa, Oklahoma – uh, Baltimore, Philly, like a bunch of places. Um, like I think there's now 14 different VFA cities, um, that are operating. And so like, I, I joined that, um, to really figure out what my next steps were at the end of 2020. And my experience with that honestly has been phenomenal. Um, you know, like I joined my training camp experience, but I I met my, you know, what has been great for me is particularly has been like the community that VFA offers because like people talk all the time about finding like a like, minded group of peers who like share your value share your beliefs but particularly your energy and that's what I wanted from BFA and I got it you know like I got like a close group of peers who like were, like my roommate George for example like George graduated last year but like that's my brother bro like that's like we didn't even know each other before COVID but we were already going through parallel situations of just tired of being home you know family love our family but you know they don't understand the tech game and why we, we just want this so badly And like, we made this move out to Austin, Texas, which like technically isn't a venture for America city, Um, but like it's adjacent to San Antonio. um, And it's a place where like, you know, we just wanted to like start there before moving to San Antonio um, soon. And and then we landed here and we've gotten a lot of opportunity. And like, we freelanced our way, like we had no cash. Like George and my savings like basically went to zero for like during the pandemic. Had no cash here. We freelanced our way to getting cash for a one-month Airbnb out here. I took the Amtrak from New York to, to Austin, Texas, over like a four-day period. George like packed his car, drove down here, and then we just got to work like making this happen. Like within like four weeks, we both got jobs um, out here, which was really dope. Um, George was working. Was working with a, uh, his an advisor who invested in him like 100k um, into his company uh to uh, spotlight i was working working to build nlp models and as their head of customer success for a company called lingo um an ai risk and compliance company that like you know helps folks mitigate risks through their their digital business communications and so dope experiences had a great time like i knew nothing about ai before that and now i know a bunch about it and i built models around it um and so that got all of that was through vfa and now like that even led me to my company my first investor like, my first investor was an intro through George. Um, and, and it's just so, so dope, like, being able to talk about entrepreneurship. And because, like, I'm, I'm someone who I love to, like, you know, have, and I do have, like, you know, friends and different types of, like, backgrounds and interests. Like, it's definitely close to my home to, like, find people who, like, you know, align with me on that entrepreneurial bug, you know, particularly with, like, building wealth, like generation of wealth through entrepreneurship. Um, both for the family, um, both for the world, even on that note, like the next, this is where it's been, i found hard, like the next level, like humanity's progress. Like what does that look like? How do we measure that? And like, you know, what is like, you know, our like our lives are like baby steps for like that overarching goal. So like venture for America has been dope.
2: So Chuck, you've done a lot of things in tech, you've been active, you've been involved and we spoke on this, on numerous occasions talk about your no code experience right and and what that has been able to you know give you as you transition into being an entrepreneur and a and a founder of Humble Brag and of many other initiatives like i know there's like possible tension between people who get into no code versus people who are full blown engineers so so talk about that whole dynamic and, and what made you uh choose that route
1: yeah, no, nah, no code's exciting, bro. Like, there's so much. And I, I wrap it even engineers who are like actually interested in it. But like, how I got started before I even knew it was called no code. When I was working at Um Start Ed as a program manager, we would use Um Zapier. Um, Zapier is a tool that allows you to like you know build different integrations between a bunch of different tech tools. Like, we we would use Zapier. To integrate with the form we use to capture like feedback from our mentors so that would auto populate that, that, um, those um inputs into an Excel spreadsheet for us to see at a later date without us having to like pull anything, you know. And, and it was just like, you know, so intuitive for us to do that. And like now, like, I, I've continued to use that, um, you know, here at Humble Brand. Like, it's very, it's great for the operational back end for a lot of things, but even like, you know, I'm starting to see that on, on the front end because we actually are building. Um, on Bubble, you know, a, a platform that allows you to basically build products utilizing um, their no-code interface. Think about like Squarespace is like an easy, like no-code-ish solution for like building a website. Bubble's that for building your actual product um, as a company. And so we're using Bubble to do that. And it's interesting getting feedback from a friend, Murdza. He's the founder of Heartbeat, um, a platform for like that people can use to host their community. It's like a combination of Discord, Slack notion in Google Calendar, but he's a full stack like engineer and like he's actually using Bubble as well for his front end because like, it's so iterative to use Bubble on your front end to like make changes, you know, solution and, and create solutions for stuff you need to do quickly. And then you just work on the back end. That's where you just do a little more coding to do that. But like, it's it's honestly amazing. I think like, you know, the argument soon will become like, you know, there, yeah, there's some engineers who are like, you know, like really – bearish on it, like, are are not a fan. But I think, like, it's, A, it's a tool to empower, like, you know, folks not interested in coding initially to build some cool stuff that may get them, like, further into their journey of, like, actually becoming, like, full-stack engineers or specializing front-end, web, mobile, whichever. But even for, like, companies, like, saving time and even money on, you know, like, hiring, like, you know, full-stack folks and, like, actually looking for, like, no-code operations people, no-code engineers who can, like, you know, build solutions that make it easy to iterate things internally, you know, and it's an exciting time. And I think like overall, like, it'll really, I have to say to democratize, like more so like it'll be an enabler and empower for folks who like wanna learn more about code, but don't know where to start. Cause like the thing about, you want people to get like quick wins of like, with their curiosity around like, you know, like teaching people how to win and enjoy coding. I think no code is a great place for that. Um, And there's just so much tools around and like where where I'm at with it, like we're building on bubble, um, figuring out like how we can like, you know, really use this tool um, to build our platform and we think actually until like our series A fundraise, like, you know, we're probably we're going to raise a potential C round um, in the summer, but we think like we should be good on bubble. To Series A because the platform is strong enough. Unless we go like viral somehow, if we go viral, we're fucked. Because <laughs> like Bubble, they can't handle like too much bandwidth at a certain scale. Like we'd have to like double down on the credits for the app and pay a, a bunch of money um, for that. Versus like building our own thing, like the the cost expense like wouldn't make sense then. But it makes sense, and I've seen a lot of companies where they're like, they build on Bubble now as a tech founder, and then you know maybe during their seed their Series A that's when they're like, all right, let me actually build an in-house, like the actual platform that I really want to see at scale moving forward. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting times. Um, it makes it easier for like, you know, folks like us like actually build platforms without like having uh, like my, my co-founder, she is a self-taught um, engineer and developer, but like it's easier for like us to build a platform now without like, Oh, like, you know, let's get a contractor now or folks in Columbia or, or wherever to be building stuff for us. So
0: hype for that. Um, yeah, that theme around humanity's progress, the, the idea that there should be some other social aim that you're doing throughout your career is something that is starting to show through in this interview. And when I looked at your background, I saw that you took part in multiple experiences that were oriented around finding positive outcomes for both a business and a society, right? You know, whether that was your work as an associate in Matt Morrell's social activism investment vehicle, Guerrilla Capital, right? Or more recently as an angel investor, right? So, so what spurred this interest in, in companies that balance profit and purpose? And after your time away from the UN, was that Dead to Rights going to be the work that you were going to be doing throughout the rest of your career?
1: Oh, uh, that like that's for me. That that balance between like profit and purpose, that win-win scenario, that's always been the game. That's always been the the outcome I've been looking for. It's it's literally like you know, like, I think about it because chem. I don't know why like balancing equations and chemistry is coming to mind as the analogy, but like, what is the equation? Well, let's say like you know, x is equal to y. X is um, you know that outcome of profit and purpose together what is y actually equal like what is the value that makes y equal to that x is what i've always been trying to figure out throughout my career um that's always been the game that's oh, like everything i've done because like on the outside it can look like all my work you know all that exploration is chaotic and like, like what is this guy doing and that's what a lot of people ask me like what is the goal here that's always been the goal it's just figuring out how can i make that happen you know because like i'm just i'm really not that like i'm not like i don't I'm not a main character in like a a predefined, well written show that like, oh, my God, through like two steps, he's going to figure out the equation. So like everything I've done, you know, has had a a lens in that, you know, initially I thought Secretary General of the United Nations will solve all the problems. You know, was that naive initially? Oh, for sure. Um, But like, you know, just iterating, growing, pivoting and figuring it out now and being in this like this like private sector with that, you know, social impact lens. That's always followed me. Through the realms of venture, through my journey as a founder, through my journey as an operator, and even like you know, thankfully starting to angel invest now, um, with the investments I'm making now, like it's, it's really, i mean, even even like you know, creating Binghamton's alumni angels group. Like the whole idea there is because like me being a found like especially a venture backed founder now, like understanding more because i just done my first um, institutional investment like last week so now i can say i'm a venture back founder but like you know figuring out like what are the resources to empower folks to do that because and that's even the whole idea behind my company Um, like humble brag the reason that name comes together because i know dope folks who are thankfully building great things and funders who can fund them how can we what's the equation like what's the behavior that should happen to make you know those two two groups come together because like, especially for like Black founders, Latin founders, you know, like indigenous folks, anyone who's not basically not a white man from like Stanford, MBA, Yale undergrad, ex Google, ex, let me stop. <laughs> but, like, but you get it, like, what's the equation that empowers those folks who like historically do not get the resource allocation to create innovation, you know? And I even tweeted something last night because like one thing I've always wondered you know like do we feel like as a as a society that we're progressing the right way you know or are we just putting on airs of innovation you know is, is like the next like really nice fizzy sparkling water is that innovation i mean it tastes great you know we would love something better than like regular water although i love regular water but like you know are we really allocating our efforts to solve the right problems you know and, and it's, it's especially you know and, and one thing i love i love getting out of the united states yeah, I, lo- I love the fact that my parents sent me to Nigeria because I've always been traveling even before that. And like, you need like you need to like clear your head and see fresh perspectives. And I'm a, I'm a perspective junkie. I love being able to, like you know, and that's why I love my, my my roommate situation. George and I are the same. Basically, we're, we've we've come to the, a similar result from different sides of the coin. You know. Um, even yeah, there's just so many ways that we have that we have the same answer for something, but for, we come to that through different ways. And like you know, that's weaving that all back together. Like that's how I'm trying to figure out like how can we get this win-win scenario of like profits and purpose, or even is that even what this should be? Because you know, I'm, I just started The Walking Dead like two days ago. You know, ten years later, just in time. But I love like watching stuff like that because like when society resets. it it puts me in that mindset of like, what are the fundamental behaviors we should even, and that's why I'm into behavior shifts that we should be having like COVID, you know, like there are behavior shifts in healthcare and consumer in the consumer base on biases and like, you know, like um, behaviors um, and education, like, you know, what, how should we really be doing this? You know, there's a lot of like, you know, bureaucratic tape that affects that because of governance and whatnot, but like, what should that even look like? You know, we still have two political parties um, that are, like, at the forefront of every of all the decision-making we do. And so, like, I, all this, I, I'm, like, going on a tangent here. My bad. Um, but, like, all that leads back into, like, my thought around, like, you know, like, what is it that we should be doing? No,
2: no, 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 you're, you're all good. Keep spitting the fire. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And my company, and the way, like, the way now that I think about starting companies is, like, an answer to a question, you know? And we're we're using VC styles, and we define... VC scouts is like anyone who has the ability or has access to like um, deal flow um, and deal flow being like, you know, great founders who need funding, um, but particularly um, what we define as underestimated founders. So like, you know, women, black, land, indigenous um, folks who are not that that I, I, I mentioned before around like white men from like prestigious backgrounds and pedigrees. And the idea is that what if we could like, you know, because people know people, and investors currently have a problem with like even finding deal flow now, you know, like COVID forced folks to double down on their, because deal flow typically is generated from investors from a, and I, I hope I define deal flow, deal flow being just like a different pipeline funnel of companies that investors like bet for investment. Um, but deal flow for um, venture capital investors is like typically generated from their past investments um, or their existing networks. And that in and of itself is a bias because like, if you're and that's that's why we're in the situation we're in because like if you are just investing in folks that look like you you get the problem we have today and everyone doubled down on that in 2020 because everyone was scared like investors like record levels of capital were raised in 2018 and 2019 by venture capitalists so they have to deploy that capital over time they don't know where to go they don't have like, they can't go to events. They keep really like they're virtual, but people are figuring it out. So they double down on their networks. And now everyone is fighting for the same pool of deal flow. They call it proprietary, but it's all the same sources for the most part, except for like, you know, new emerging, um, you know, investors who are not that archetype, thankfully have more deal flow to invest in underestimated founders. but we're still like less than like 2% of even that funding equation, you know? And so the thesis for humble brag is like, what if we created a network? of different scouts in that aren't in Silicon Valley or the East coast that know people on the ground, like, you know, a Delaware, you know, Delaware is the first state of the United States, like Delaware C Corps are the legal structure, um, that a lot of like tech startups use, but there's not a lot of VCs that are actually like active in the Delaware tech startup scene, you know, like all these different areas, the Midwest, the South, um, the right next to the Atlantic, um, the mountains, like what if we had the, the map of all the different startups there and like potential one intros to those founders for investors? That's like, you know, my thesis around Humble Brag right now. Like, you know, that was something I think would be valuable. And like, if we because if we know all the folks on the ground who are about our starting things and can plug into that, we can be like, yo, investors, like, here's like like the pipeline that you need besides like, you know, your pre existing um, network and past investments. These are great folks, you know, that you can easily see on our platform, just invest in them and we just take a cut out of that but yeah and then also empowering those scouts too cuz those scouts have been a part of VC for like ever like everyone's always referring companies to venture capitalists but like they don't typically get compensated like some people are like, like I've been in that situation where I've sent like you know a 100 companies to a fund um that I wasn't like you know necessarily like you know adjacent to like um adjacent being like you know like some people are contractually contractually I'm um, scouting for funds. Like I was just sending scouts to this person and like, i burnt a lot of social capital um, with that with that um, person, like social capital being like a founder is connected with them and this person never responds. And then I'm, I'm, I look like with the fool. Like, oh, like the investors ghosted me, ghosted you. I look like I'm actually not someone who can plug you in and help you get funding and I want you to get funding. So that's a wasted effort on everyone's part. So yeah. Um, but that's that's where I stand on that. Really, you know, um, Humble Brag is really my next, like, you know, initiative for that profit um, and purpose side of things. And then, like, everything I build after that will be aligned with that too. Stuff. So,
0: and I, I just have a quick follow up there, right? Because I came across this term. I coined this term, you know, balancing profit and purpose, uh, during experiences I had at, at Yale undergrad, right? Or um, during experiences that I had at Yale. During undergrad, um, thanks to George, who provided that assist and, uh, and, and alerted me to the opportunity. Um, but what I saw was that, you know, again, there was multiple ways to go and and rethink how companies would leverage the the capital they had to have positive effects on society more generally. So the the way you just outlined with humble brag was one of those examples, but you also mentioned, you know, a bit before earlier on in that response, that you think there are other ways that companies can have positive effects too. Where do you think the line really is, is drawn in regards to how far a company's reach can go? Honestly, like... As
1: like, you you gotta, like, let's take like, you know, a company like Amazon, for example, Amazon has a, like the influence of Amazon is like easy to just grasp hearing the name, you know, my one day shipping uh, for a lot of my products, you know, my, my Am- Amazon groceries, you know, getting that, like I'll get mistaken same other people's groceries from down the hall, you know, like they, they're able to like reach a lot of different places here in the United States, you know, like. Bezos is is ball, man. He's booming. He's having a great time. He just, you know, he just left. He's about to do something else, you know, besides his other projects. And so, like, you have that much, like, you know, it's capital and influence, really. Because I think, I don't, like, a lot of investors talk about, like, proprietary deal flow. And, like, thinking on the macro scale, like, capital at scale is what's proprietary. I don't believe deal flow at scale is proprietary. You know, because it's that capital that really informs your deal flow. Over time, in my opinion, Tiger Global is one of the great example of that. That's why they're winning. They can deploy capital faster than folks. Um, but with that in mind, like you know, it's easy for a company like Amazon to, like, of course, like this. Bezos' whole thesis has been like, you know, our profits go right back into R and D for improving whatever we're doing. But they can easily like allocate money to an opportunity fund or whatever to like fund different initiatives. They even through like you know their Amazon like shipping offer ways to like you know with their brand say like oh like we're we're helping X so and so today, whatever. Like it's really it's a choice. It's a predefined choice because like the whole the issue with capitalism is that like everyone's trying to use the most minimal amount of inputs to get the maximum like huge output that they can get um, using that. Like, you know, someone wants to like input like one hour of effort to get like, you know, a hundred years worth of outcomes, you know? And and that's something that doesn't, it happens um, like for a small percentage of people, but because of that small percentage, everyone potentially thinks like, yo, that could be me. Um, But because of that, that's where the the issue with the social impact pieces Where like, now it's an opt-in. Like social impact to some people, is um, something that you have to choose to do. but if you weave that into your organization's like values, DNA, then um, then it's common it's something that's you know that's like, easy to do. like even like now emer- I, and I'm you know since I'm like in the venture capital scene, I use like venture capital examples. there's a bunch of emerging venture funds like you know, like rare ventures, um, the community fund, even Republic right now, where like that social impact piece, is like part of like what they offer, like, you know, the deregulation of private securities. um, Now, like different retail investors being like folks who are not maybe as informed as a venture capitalist, but they still have capital can like invest on Republic. And you don't need to be accredited per se to invest in some companies. Republic is championing that and empowering folks. Like, you know, like someone, like me, my little brother who like really, he's an investor in public stuff, you know, a bunch of stocks. He's actually bomb. Like I found out the other day, man, that cat has 40K in stocks. He started investing like to, you know, I'm on my podcast and you know, I got shot my little brother, IK, you know, Uzo, what's up? Yeah, I just realized that mom, how you doing, dad, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking yeah. on the TV right now. Yeah, you no, know, I'm proud of him because like, he just like, he just did that. And now like, you know, if he wanted to get an adventure, he can like figure that out in public. There's a lot of like waves that can happen, but that is like part of Republic's business approach. That's not something they have to do. Like it's possible to weave it in to how you generate money. It's just, you have to, you have to be intentional about that and that's you know that's one way like a republic is one example rare breed you know investing underestimated founders lightship capital like there's a lot of ways for you to like do that but you just have to choose to do that and i think the issue is that people think that social impact is not profitable you know but like there's there's so much data to support the fact that it is there's so much you know like think like thinking about it all right shout out to you know all the vcs out there i hope you're watching this like this, this is my plug for like, like investing in understanding founders, you know, think about like innovation, you know, you give a lot of folks who like have the pedigree that will still shit the bed um, with the funding you do, you know, and like shout out to Plug and Play Ventures because I think your thesis is interesting where you just cut checks regardless of everything because you don't, you know, your th- plug and play is a fund that they're like, you know, we at scale, like you can't really judge whether a company will succeed or not. So you just give people checks and see what happens and like, oh, like, the real, the real game of entry honestly, if you can operate at a loss, because you will operate at a loss, like cutting checks for as long as you can until you find that one Uber or that one whatever, and then a couple other companies who like, they'll like even you out, but that one knockout that will turn everything, that one knockout that knockout of the park is all that matters, you know? And that's why like funds at like a billion dollars in the management, like at that point, A, like you're Gucci, like, you can deploy capital for as long as you need at a loss until you get that winner. That returns your whole portfolio, your entire set of capital, and you can do it all again. You can say, I'm great, even though, you know, it's really just you just cutting checks. And so at the same time, it becomes an intentional aspect of like, what innovation do you want to see? And if you're only giving like, you know, capital to folks who have created the same type of innovation for the last like 38 years, I feel like that's a waste, you know, um, especially because there's just so many different perspectives, you know, because a company is definitely an extension of a person, you know. And their beliefs, their values, their way of perceiving the world. And so empowering folks to build tomorrow by like just deploying capital underestimated founders is both a lucrative thing and a beneficial thing for the world because everyone building to tomorrow we want to see is ideally what leads to humanity's progress. Um, it's just really doing that at scale. That's the question, which is why Tiger Global is winning. Um, let me stop. <laughs> let me, let me um, stop it right there. Like I can dive more deep into like that at an, another time but like yeah this is it's exciting times for venture you know because like now you can raise your full seed round pre-series a on republic which i think will be continuing to be a bigger trend larger institutions are getting in on the game from the pre and pre, that pre-season excuse me there's different stages of venture capital for the folks i'm listening there's um family and friends slash pre-seed which is like you know you're, you're reaching out to mom and dad for money to start a business and like you know if you're from backgrounds like we are that might not even be possible my parents did not put any capital for my company um, because like we just don't have the capital to play for that um but then also like seed see and like there's a, like i'm not there's there's dollar amounts associated with these but these change like over time but basically the whole early stage the early stages of starting a company are defined as pre-seed seed in series a there's later versions of that but like those are the ones that i typically focus on so focused on like you know founders who are starting like today, um, or started like two years ago.
2: You mentioned so much gems. We definitely appreciate that, right? From deploying capital to to talking about you know getting involved as an angel investor to also talking about the whole VC model and being comfortable operating as a, at a loss. It's like you have to be comfortable shooting one for 10 and being OK. As long as you get that one, then you're fine, right? Just pivoting a little bit. When we spoke on the phone maybe a couple days back, you talked about this humanitarian mindset. And you always had that. I, I've seen that in you and being in. Uh, and, and I'm on the same wavelength, and, and so is Steph, right? Where did that humanitarian mindset come from and, and how, going back to our conversation offline, how do you plan to use tech to impact the world or or, or even Africa, to, so to speak? Because we, again, we talked about so many initiatives that you wanted to uh, focus on. So how do you plan to do that? Okay. And, 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 and it's okay if you don't know. It's okay if it's TBD because oh, no, no, no. We're, we're still young. So Kyle, I kind of wanted to hear from you. Yeah, yeah, no, nah, definitely, I have an answer
1: to your first question. Where did that humanitarian, that, like, mindset come from? Honestly, that's, a, I don't know, I think. Like, that's, I think, that has just been me, bro. Like, yeah, like, you know, like, the early media, like, anime and, you know, manga to find like, my, my, unlike, like, that resolve and that, like, you know, that just... Really, a rational instinct to continue like progressing forward, Um for sure. But like, the, I think the humanitarian side has just always been me, man. Like, I think there, there, because like even like thinking about like long term, because like, bro, like I was just there was a time where I really did not. Oh. I have the internet. There was a time where I actually didn't like the world. I will say that right like as a child, I would I had like hated my I think this is my elementary school days. Um before I discovered M U N, like I was always getting bullied and getting into trouble for fighting bullies and you know, and like people don't understand my name, they didn't understand, like, always made fun of Nigeria, like African booty scratchers, all this stuff. I would like deck people and go to the principal's office and get in trouble. Um, you know, at recess, all this stuff. And like I really just didn't like the world and then there was a conscious decision when i like started mun and learned more about my family like i really wanted to change i always wanted to change it of course because if you don't like something like why just stick with that and so i think that's where like you know all right what does this really look like how do we figure this out because despite not like liking things i was always still curious about stuff man like i I figured out where babies came from in third grade but that was a whole man like i remember reading the book about it in the library and watching a documentary on it from the discovery channel and bro i was really i didn't have access to the computer so i'm over here going to the library looking for the adult section like sneaking in like where's all this stuff and i figured it out i'm like oh okay cool black holes like all this like the world's fascinating but like you know we need to be more intentional around how we create spaces for ourselves and that's like you know me as a kid curious but still and not liking the way things were that's I think the equation for how the humanitarian came about as far as like the equation and say that second question again, like, was it about like, do you know the change I want to make?
2: Yes. Yeah. So, so, so what, how do you plan to, cause again, we've had these multiple conversations mm. online, right? Like how do you plan on um, going about creating change through tech, yeah. in it, either in the U.S. or in Nigeria. And so, and by the way, Nigeria is booming in all fronts from the startup game yeah. to the cryptocurrency game. Like, how, what, are your, what are your thoughts on all that? Definitely. Like, I'd say it's really focusing on the systemic problems.
1: Um, and like, right now I'm focusing on funding. The reason, and like, it's interesting, I didn't mention this before, but the reason why I'm, I'm doing Humblebracks as a startup and not a fund, although I've been, maybe I'll pivot to a fund because like, this is only a month and a half in it. But, because I don't, VCs are not incentivized right now to, regardless of everything I've said, um, at this time they're not necessarily incentivized to invest in underestimated founders because you know like the herd, there's a lot of herd mentality going along. Like not every investor actually is like you know luminate like I won't say luminary enough, but like the captain of their ship, hundred percent. Like you know like there's definitely FOMO, all of that. I think you know with these new elements of like large institutions. And like, you know, more private, like retail investors coming into play, that'll change the game and like, you know, create more like tail like market tailwinds for like actual change. But a startup at this time is the best vehicle that can do it at scale versus a fund, um, which will take too much time. Uh, but like my I'm that's like me going into nuance, but like initially I'm starting with funding. I kind of fell into this, but like I'm starting with funding because like, you know, for innovation to happen. At scale, you need to have capital. You need to have capital. You need to have influence. And like when I think about my life, you know, education and like professional development has always been something that I've wanted to like you know do and have done to empower folks. But like the funding piece is super important. You know, people need to eat. People need to resolve their and like thinking about like you know Maslow's hierarchy. Those those basic needs. So funding is something that like you know weaves into a lot of different things. And I want to address that um, through humble brag. And then later on, there's the education piece. Um, you know, like a company like On Deck, they're killing it. am um, creating a universe of like fellowships that basically an online university that you know will be ideally a next generation institution that will stand the test of time. Um, and so like you know, also adding something to that play on a macro scale, specifically um, Africa focused, is one of my long term goals. Healthcare is something super important. I even was rapping because that's something uh, me and the mayor of Austin awesome last night through the Notley Fellowship that we were rapping about. Between that and like you know homelessness, like you know a place to live, like those you know fundamental but systemic issues that are tough to solve. That's what I want to spend my my life like you know addressing. Um, and then like you know everything comes back to like you know also like empowering folks to like really be the change. She's, like my life, i I'm very like I have a lot of pride in myself and the stuff I do, but I know I'm a stepping stone. Like easily, like like when I was a kid, I already knew. I just w- I wanted to be someone that can empower other folks to reach their full potential, even if they can't see it, you know? And I knew that that would always be my legacy. And so now, like, you know, this funding piece, the healthcare piece, because you need you need money to do shit. You need, like, health as well. You need to, like, be able to, like, you know, move your body, feel okay to be interacting with the world, you know, through taking care of yourself and being able to take care of yourself through the system like like the way we we do healthcare now is just bullshit man um you know housing as well like you know there's a bunch of and man shout out to san francisco and silicon valley the first time i went there in 2019 man cradle of innovation my ass honestly bro like there's a lot of dope yeah there's yeah there's a lot of dope people in the valley and whatever but like if the social norm is for you to be stepping into like an in and out burger while a, a homeless couple is like, you know, sleeping on the floor in front of that, and that's okay, then there's something wrong with y'all, you know, and that maybe like, that's why y'all are crazy, you don't have this bug, whatever, but that in my mind, man, like when I saw, first saw that after like hosting that accelerator there, I'm like something, like y'all are, y'all are bugging, man, that's wild, you know, and like, and the fact that there's so much money flowing in there, but that is just a norm, yeah, of course, you can like blame the government and all that, but like, I mean, y'all are constituents too let me stop but like addressing issues like that is is my long-term goal because bro like i mean we're human you can't preach and talk innovation if like we don't have like basic shit down pat you know our criminal justice system is is something else that i definitely want to work on too and even the way we like you know because there's just so much base and that's why stepping back i'm like diving into the nuance Behavioral shift, like the name of the game for me is positive behavioral shifts. That's like, that's why I, I brand on Nikoda Ventures the way it is, because like literally, you know, Mikora and Igbo means strength of the people. You know, how can we like, you know, strengthen our people and empower them to create the change we want to see? That's through behavioral shifts. Like Facebook was a behavioral shift and, you know, how people view themselves, you know, like a lot of, like the UI, people don't talk about the UI and UX of Facebook initially being, you know, use as a way for Mark's classmates to like rape all the women in their class, you know, based on their quote, quote, quote hotness level and how that's affected, like, you know, people's behavior shifts over the last like, decade, their, their mindset, their self-esteem, all of that. And now, you know, the way we view people and ourselves and each other, like that's like definitely affected a bunch of kids, you know, and a bunch of like, you know, people who are now becoming adults as well. We don't talk about that, but like, you know, I want to use tech because um, tech is just a tool to just move humanity forward through, through those behavior shifts, man, um, better consumer behavior and better, of course, is like something that I have to figure out and define, but like more kind people, more openness, you know, more accepting and inclusive behaviors, you know, um, there's just so many conversations to be had and like really collaborating and empowering folks, I think is, is where my, where I'll cement myself in my journey to like, you know, enable that to happen. Um, That is the long answer. It definitely wasn't a well structured answer because that just came off the off rip. Um, But yeah, that's, that's the goal, man. And you know,
2: that's, that's why I do what I do. Amazing. You, you touched a bit about this throughout the pod on several occasions the Notley Fellows. Could you go into that a bit deeper, uh, explain to the audience what the Notley Fellows is and, mm-hmm. and how the, those, strings, those strings of conversations between the uh, mayor of Austin played out?
1: Yeah, definitely. So like, and and this is also like part of the way I live my life too. I'm, I'm always trying to, like, there, I'm a facilitator in everything that I do. And so in order to facilitate, you have to have, like in order to be a facilitator, you have to have something to facilitate. And for me, like I need relationships that give me ideas that I'm, I'm not normally exposed to. The Notley Fellowship is a, a two-year fellowship that takes folks who work in the private sector um, into um, a public sector mindset where like you're actually working around different social impact initiatives in the Austin community. I think it's for folks from age 22 to 35. So you take your private sector experiences and then get on board to projects, you know, around like, Social impact in Austin. There's Diff Inc, the Social Justice Accelerator, founded by Preston James, um, who is a dope cat. Actually, from New York City too. Um, he's one of the folks who welcomed me in Austin. Um, like, you know, amazing guy. The, the uh, God Fund, um, that is a syndicate investing in Black and Latinx. Some founders. There's just there's so many initiatives there. And I joined not um, to have more conversations around like social impact that I, I wasn't having um through my existing net, network organically. And so, like, it's really like, you know, it's a, it's something that forced me to start thinking more and more about that and be able to, like, you know, develop more of my thesis around that. And so, like, they have a speaker, like, they have a bi weekly or monthly speaker series. I'm trying to, because it's kind of nuanced now that we're starting to get back to more in person events. And so, we were able to meet the mayor of Austin last night. Um, I went a little late, but like, I, I, when I came in, we were really talking about, like, you know, the homeless. Um, crisis in Austin and, you know, the rules around like encampments you know, um, being utilized to empower folks to act like homeless people to like, you know, figure out where they're going to stay um, versus like just clearing them off the street and having them, know, giving them nowhere to go, like they can actually like camp now. Um, that That's a norm now. And really like that conversation honestly was really good. Like the mayor, like it's funny because, you know, politicians, they they always have that public persona um, around them of like, yeah, you know, like they'll say an opinion and then they'll quickly like say something like, Bob, I'm, but even though I said that, you know, like I'm not taking shots of nobody, but like uh, Steve, uh, Steve Adler is his name. And like, he was just a really, he like kind of took that off during the convo which was really dope. And, um you know, got a lot of value and insight from it um, on the just housing here. The idea of like, you know, a lot of, there's a huge influx of people here. And like you know, the effect that'll have in the Austin long term, transportation, um, basically the whole gambit. Uh, and like my whole like goal is like being able to get into more conversations like that, where I have access to those people. And Notley, like Dan Graham and, and, and Lisa Graham, who like founded Notley, they're just a they're power couple, like doing their thing. But B, like they've created a platform that empowers anyone who like connects with their ecosystem to do that, which I'm truly grateful for actually going, I'm actually going to our co-working space after this to like, you know, chat with Dan and some other Notley fellows while doing work, which is really dope. And it's cool to see like, like there are folks there who want to run for office. There are folks who are like tech founders like myself, you know, like building things with the social impact orientation um, weaved in there, as course. Cause like, and I don't, and even random, this is like something I just realized, you know, cause I'm always random thought, like, why is it that like social impact and like starting a business are just like, you know, seen as like mutually exclusive but that's, that's that's like a behavioral shift that was looking like for like sometime like you know why is it that profits and purpose kit be the same thing like there's so many people start businesses to like you know give their family something to live off of historically but nowadays it's like now nah, if you're trying to make profits like there's no impact piece into it random thought random thought um but i hope i answered your question um that's why i did not lead to dope fellowship i encourage anyone to apply I think they'll be opening they're opening their San Antonio fellowship soon, I believe. Um, but yeah, well, right now it's just in Austin, Texas, but they're starting to expand
0: to more cities. That last point that you just mentioned around, you know, why can't profit and purpose, you know, why they have to be mutually exclusive um, is a very real question. It's a question that I've been you know, trying to think through for some years now and have, have been frustrated by the fact that, you know, not many others view that, like, view it the same way, that, you know, why is this this split odd, right? Like, why have we decided that this is just the way things should operate? Um, there is a book that I want to recommend to you. I think it'll, it'll be beneficial, especially as you continue to do more and more work in this space, and that's uh, The Practice of Management by uh, Peter Drucker. Um, very great book, speaks about this in depth. It was written in the 1950s. But essentially, he advocates for very much the same things that you're speaking for at at this point in time. Um, And that profit is a is a byproduct of successfully meeting human needs. Right. So I think definitely something that you should read into. But in terms of the podcast, we're going to close things out and we're going to ask you the final question for today. And on that basis here at Dream Shakers, you like to pay it forward. We like to provide our audience the means to take this advice and take action, right? So, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to your younger self? Uh, to my younger self, and start doing backflips
1: early. I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm in, on the side. I'm into like tumbling and like doing backflips and front flips and all that. But um, the three pieces of advice to my younger self, um do more code outreach. Code outreach being defined as like code emails, code calls, code Twitter DMs, code Instagram DMs to people you want to get in touch with. I think that has honestly like really influenced the trajectory of my career um, so far. And my career is still a very, I only graduated like three years ago. So it's still very, very early. Um, But like that just, you know, leads to a lot of outcomes. Um, Secondly, don't get caught up in the structure of the world currently, and to, to my point of the Walking Dead before and why I enjoy walking stuff, watching stuff like that. Like the world has a perceived structure that adults of today give it, but that's not what it'll be by the time you die. Um, like it'll be different; it'll be more nuanced. Like you know, there'll be shit. There'll be fundamental changes by then, and like what that means is if you're in college right now. Yeah, you go to class. Yeah, you need to graduate. Focus on figuring out, you know, what is it you want to do in your purpose more than all the classes and whatnot. And you do, in my opinion, um, young young Kanu. You know, since I'm talking to myself, um, quote unquote, uh, you do that um, by talking to dope people and staying friends with them, because it's really your peers who you're surrounded with that define your destiny in the long term, for the most part. Um, and then, you know, just like exploring different things. You know, a lot of people get caught up in, um, you know, majors be defining their entire college trajectory. Just focus on your purpose. You know, your major is one vehicle for exploration, but like, you know, your extracurriculars, what you do on the day to day is probably where you find what you need. Those little detours are a lot of times where you find the things that are most important to you. Um, that's what I aim to do a lot through lab and um, other stuff I started. And then um, lastly, give yourself grace. You know, there's a lot of pressure. Like there's a lot, like the issue with society today, like I think that's one of the fundamental issues um, in terms of what we define as success, like ultra success is what people define and say success, but that's not the case at all. Like there's a lot of like, you know, quote unquote average people living unsuccessful unse- success, like not sexy lifestyles that people think, oh, that's nothing. Like, you know, being a plumber, for example, like, plumbers are making racks. Are awesome, bro. Like, there are companies out here making, like, you know, calm 4 million, doing nothing. Like, you know, there's so many. Like, the, the media, like, really ch- chooses what to spotlight, and that influences a lot of folks on um, a lot of things. Like, give yourself grace um, in that, like, you don't have to do those things, you know. Do what you want to do, and you can be very successful just living your life and doing your own thing, you know. It's really just, like, figuring out that equation for yourself that gets you, A, the, pr- the purpose you want to do, and the profit. Can it be hard? Hell yeah. You know, but if that's what you want to do, just um, figure it out. I think that's really it. Um, But like, I guess, let me give one final final thing. Um, Really, because that that first thing I said about like reaching out really also double down on like, you know, reconnecting with people. I think that's something that a lot of folks don't do. A lot of people don't take the time to catch up with folks they met. Um, folks say like that you have like that your soul had a positive experience with that because you think like you know you're gonna reach out to like maybe a Jay Z or a Nas and they'll like you know help you figure your stuff out or Beyonce, but no, it's actually the people next to you who are growing um, parallel to you that'll help you in the future. I think so. Yeah, I, man, there's a lot to say. I mean, that's I'll leave it at that. Um, and truly appreciate you bringing me on here. This is dope. Great to vibe, you know, meet Steph, George, catch up again, the word. Um, I know I'll, there's sometimes I talked a lot, but yeah, <laughs>
2: I hope it was valuable. Sometimes I'll just be rambling, man. No, bro. Uh, this was a blessing. We're very honored to have you on this podcast, King. Like it, it's such a pleasure to, to connect with you and you know, um, Every time we build, it's just, it's, like, magical. Like, we we feel the energy in the room. Like, we know that, like, there's some progress being made. And we also know that we expect nothing less of one another just because of the mutual respect. So, um, you know, they always say why why kings can't collaborate and why they can't coexist or build. So thanks, Chukwudi. Appreciate you.
0: That was a great interview we just had with Chuck Woody. He provided an immense level of insight on venture startups and the rising role of profit and purpose within the business sector. How are you feeling about this one, George?
2: Yes, that's, I think it was a great interview. Chuck Woody made some valid points. He touched on a lot, talked about his transition from engineering into the vc space and startup community and what we can do is people to give back to our communities once we have accumulated a certain level of wealth so thank you chuck woody for stopping by and we we hope to continuously have you on the pod for future episodes perfect perfect
0: now we're at that part of the show where we delve into the level up. And as always, we have three, that's right, three opportunities for you this week to start your own journey within the broader world of technology. First opportunity is a social impact internship at Zoom. Now, this paid internship is for 12 weeks and will take place from June to August. The program offers cutting edge projects as well as a mix of additional types of learning in areas of leadership and business acumen. Over the course of the summer, you will develop and execute two research studies one in the education space and one across the nonprofit sector, with a focus on racial equity and education. You will deliver extensive, robust, open source research studies highlighting core challenges experienced by education organizations and racial equity nonprofits. And you will present these recommendations such that the good folks at Zoom understand which paths are going to lead to the largest level of social impact. You are fit for this role if you have experience in quantitative and qualitative research, you are a strategic thinker, creative and highly organized, and if you are comfortable translating data into stories. The internship will be remote. Next up, we have a machine learning engineer intern at Headspace. Now Headspace is looking for an engineer for a 12 week period to drive a strong, human-centric feature development process. As an intern, you'll work with passionate and creative cross-functional teams, and you'll play a critical role in delivering against the company's vision of improving the health and happiness of the world. Over the course of the summer, you will increase developer velocity by implementing various machine learning and artificial intelligence tools, identify opportunities to apply machine learning at Headspace by working with cross functional partners, and implement next generation AI powered products. You are fit for this role if you're majoring in computer science or a related field. And if you've completed a data science slash machine learning bootcamp. So if you check any of those boxes, you should be straight. Additionally, if you have experience programming in Python, SQL, or Spark, that's gonna be another plus. And finally, if you are a motivated self-starter, a great communicator, and a team player, this internship will also be remote. Finally, we have a digital marketing internship at Sony. For the duration of this internship, you will own a project to showcase how Sony can better resonate with Gen Z here in the U.S. The project will encompass all aspects of digital brand marketing, inclusive of creative and digital media. The intern will also provide day-to-day support for the digital marketing team, which will inform what your final project will look like. Over the course of the summer, you will assist with day-to-day account maintenance tasks, inclusive of creative material distribution and billing. You will analyze best in class digital marketing from competitors to inform projects. And you will monitor weekly pacing reports from agencies to ensure campaigns are processing according to plan. You are fit for this role if you are majoring in marketing, communications, or business management. You have proficiency with Microsoft Office, including PowerPoint, Word, and Excel. And if you are at least a college junior, the internship will be based out of Albany, New York. And those are all the opportunities I have for this week. So I'm going to hand it back to George, and he's going to close us out.
2: Thanks for those opportunities, Steph, on the level-up portion. Thank you all for tuning in. Please f- follow us on Instagram through our Instagram page. Uh, please subscribe to um, whatever podcast uh outlet that you tune into the dream shakers to whether if it's spotify apple music amazon and make sure that you subscribe on the youtube page as well um, you can just type in dream shakers with a z and it'll pop up and you can hit that subscribe subscribe that like and subscribe button and please leave us a comment thank you all god bless take care and see you on the next episode